Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie. The sense of numbing inevitability of the podcast. Ah, well, we weren't expected to get points from that game. And I'm joined by the misplaced optimism of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. Rodrigo wasn't that bad, was he? And finally, the lost head of the podcast. Fold the club. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh Hayding. Uh, I'm in the pit. Uh, in the pit of despair, uh, just resubbing to not the top twenty podcast. <laughs> wow. Well, hopefully we can get a little bit more optimism from the uh, man on the other side of the of the mic, who is we have a quite an interesting view of at the moment, actually. But Tom Tom Woodhead, how are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, certainly better than Josh. <laughs> it feels like a long time since I've been one of these podcasts. Um, I've mostly been exercising my fandom via cryptocurrency uh, acquisition and <laughs> other much more valid and lucrative methods of fandom so um it's good to be back chatting like like the old days <laughs> but at least now you know that you are a proper fan because one cannot really activate the fandom until they have activated their chilies right that's what i'm told well yeah obviously and um i've almost finished the pump and i'm ready for the dump <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, here we are. Let's get into this while we're still laughing. So, as you will probably know by now, Leeds lost 3-0 at home to Liverpool. Liverpool were playing in a 4-3-3, uh, which is their, their sort of standard formation. Leeds in a 4-1-4-1, which is probably more like a 4-2-3-1 with uh, Calvin Phillips and Stuart Dallas as that double pivot. And I think the only other real interesting selection issue was that um, was that Liam Cooper was picked over Pascal Strauch. Although we did get to see Pascal Strauch as the game wore on. More on that later. Um, Leeds started brightly enough, I thought. The the game did follow the formula that this season seemed to have seems to have followed, though, which is Leeds created some good chances in transitions, um, but they faded a little bit around the 15-minute mark. Early on, Liverpool caused some problems through the left-back area, and that's where the first 
goal came from and Joel Matip driving forward finding Alexander Arnold who then found Salah in the six yard box and I guess that's another talking topic the fact that centre-backs running through the middle caused us problems again as well. Uh, another exciting uh, aspect of the game which we are seeing all too often is that we have lost all of our centre-backs in fairly quick succession so Diego Llorente gets injured 30 minutes in he's replaced by Pascal Strauch um, and then we hit half-time with Leeds only the one nil down at that point although I suspect that the score could probably have been a little bit higher so um, there's still all to play for at that point Rodrigo came off at half-time replaced by Tyler Roberts uh, and then soon after the, the game restarts, we see Liverpool score the second goal from a messy corner. Uh, and then almost immediately after that, we have the uh, Pascal Strout red card. Actually, I don't think that's almost immediately. That may be wrong. About 10, 15 minutes later, I think. Yeah. Well, I think that the uh, he wasn't sent off till about seven minutes of just standing around though, right? So it was, the actual challenge was quite soon after the goal, I think. But then <laughs> obviously they had to... Uh, do all the medical stuff before they finally decided that was definitely a red card wait for Klopp to have his um his say as well hmm. gave a real soliloquy to the ref he, he did indeed and then from from that point onwards it was very much a given result and uh, the only thing that really happened after that was that Sadio Mane finally picked up his goal after 2xg in injury time uh, of, of the game making the the score finish 3-0 so that's the the summary of the game <laughs> Let's just jump straight into the interrogation then. This is the part of the the programme where I ask you guys some questions about uh, the game based on what I saw from it. So first up, let's talk a little bit about the way that Liverpool set up against us because we did spend a lot of time in the preview podcast talking about how Liverpool... Had, had sort of had two different approaches in the games that they'd had so far uh, against Norwich. They'd sat a little deeper and just hit Norwich on, on the counter and were happy to to sort of just hit them really quickly without going... without. They're throwing players forward. Um, and then they've had another couple of games um, against Chelsea and, and also uh, against Burnley where they were a little bit more happy to build up. Um, so I'll put this over to you guys. What did you make of the way that Liverpool sat up and, and the way that uh, set up, sorry, and how how did you make uh, the way they approached the game? I'll start with you, Josh. Uh, yeah, interesting because I, I watched um, what Trent Alexander-Arnold Alexander said on match of the day two about how they sort of specifically set up against us wanting the um the wingers to come in and press the centre backs and the full backs press our press our um full backs and keep also keep our wingers back. I think um yeah they they seem to win the ball high up a lot and win the ball in the midfield area quite a lot. I think um Harvey Elliott and um and Thiago and Fabinho just they got a lot of turnovers in the middle of the pitch although I don't know how much of that was to do with how well they pressed there or how just bad we we are at keeping the ball in the middle of the pitch I think a bit of both but I think they they knew that they could exploit um the fact that we we don't seem to be building up very well at the moment and they are obviously one of the best pressing teams around anyway I think the sort of combo of that plus also the fact that um something Gary Neville was talking about quite a bit on the commentary um because I was watching it on on Sky but um obviously they picked um Elliot and Thiago in midfield with with Fabinho um rather than 
going for the option of like Cater and, and Henderson or, or Milner where they're just sort of going for like legs in the middle. They went for like, when we get the ball, let's control it and play through. And they, they did that well. I think that's a smart thing to do against us because they didn't ha I don't think they had to sort of think, oh, we need to match Leeds' intensity. Um, because when they had the ball, they could just get, get through us fine. And yeah, I mean, smart from Klopp is, is the way to play against us. Um, move us around, press us. And then when you get the ball, have good technical players that will take advantage. And that's what they did. I do think before their first goal, it was going sort of okay for us. Like it was, we were obviously we were we were inferior to them, but you expect that we're going to be inferior to them uh, just because of the squads. So I think up until that point, it was sort of all right. Um, and then obviously once they've scored, that's the classic thing: the game state changes, and uh, we're always going to struggle from that point on. So um, I, I possibly wasn't quite as down about this game as some other people um it's obviously always depressing to lose 3-0 um but once strauch sent off that's that's game over anyway i don't think you can really glean anything from what happened after that um and i think there was some promising stuff before the first goal we looked a little bit more like our old selves i think and maybe i'm grasping at straws there but someone has to because hobsey's so far away from the straws that they're just specks in the distance <laughs> no i do i do like i do agree that we our, our start was was good and, uh, you know, it's that classic moment of well, could this game have played out quite differently if, if Rodrigo puts that, that chance in after um, as a su- really nice uh, nice little move with Calvin winning it at the back, pinging it out to Rafinha. The touch is superb from Rafinha to get it straight out of his feet, get to the byline. And then, yeah, I'd, I've replayed that shot in my head <laughs> a good amount of times it's like why are you just smashing it with like there's like no thought of oh i can just place this in the corner he he made it so easy for allison i'm just looking through the the shots now actually on on fb ref and that was that was the first shot of the game the the rodrigo one and what's what's it rated xg because i'd be interested it doesn't have the individual XG, unfortunately. But oh, of course, it doesn't. But what's Rodrigo's? Yeah, we he can must, see that. He probably only had one shot. I think. Yeah, I think that was it. He had one shot. Yeah, so zero point three. So it was a big chance. So. Yeah, that's a big chance, and it's like that's that's one of our biggest chances of the whole game. And it's right. Like if we take the lead, that that does ch- at least that makes them maybe think they need to change something, and and maybe we maximise on another break, but. Um, yeah, it's very annoying. Well, let's move on from that discussion to something I mentioned in the in the summary of the game, actually, which was Leeds have this season looked quite bright for the first maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes of games and then faded quite a bit. And I just wondered what you two make of that, whether or not you think that that's simply because Leeds play with high intensity the whole time. And so and I think a lot of other teams will probably come out and and sort of feel their way into the games and they'll have different strategies with respect to wh- when they're going to push in games um do you think that's the case do you think it's it's just that and then teams sort of just grind on and, and leads get left behind what do you make of that tom i think there is definitely a thing where if we have that sort of initial onslaught and it's not really it's not really proving very effective in an attacking sense um the a lot of the games this season we've sort of seemed to run out of ideas quite quickly and it gets quite frustrating um some of the long balls from the back when it feels like there the should be 
a slightly more elegant way to go about that some of the time. Um, and I'm not quite sure why we seem to have lost a little bit of confidence in in building up from the back. Like at the, at the beginning of last season, we were you know s- hyper confident, and uh, it was it wasn't always coming off, and we would make mistakes and give the ball away sometimes. But it always looked like the players, even you know even the likes of Alioska who would struggle at times. Uh, they kept trying to do it um, and we do seem to have had something of a sea change that happened towards the end of last season where we, we are going more direct from that and I don't I don't know if it's because Rafinha's more fully integrated into the team so we feel like he could be a more potent weapon and doing things on his own if we can catch him early enough but it would be nice uh, for me if we could just, just calm the fuck down a little bit more like sometimes um, and, and I don't think obviously the, the midfield is a problem but I also don't think that we've never like we've never played loads through the middle of the park even when we've had the midfielders it's always on the flanks it's always you know the eights going out to the side to help out the wingers and the fullbacks i I think it's more about the decisions that are being made on the ball than um necessarily lacking the personnel although we we do clearly you know we clearly could do with a couple of midfielders but um I, i i also don't think it's completely out of the question that the players on the pitch should be able to just have a little bit more control in that sense. Do you think there would be more lenience given if Leeds looked as though they were trying to play good football but played it badly than what we currently seem to be doing, which is just playing bad football badly? I think so, because you, you do. there were moments yesterday when we we were playing some nice link-up play. Like There was a few moments with Firpo and Harrison that were quite promising. Um, and and when we, when we play like that, it just it looks good again <laughs> so so i'm i'm a little bit surprised that we that we do seem to really have this tactic of we want to get the ball over the top to bamford quite often we want to get the ball over the top to rafinha um and when we do build out from the back although i didn't think it was as much of a problem today as it has been in the games when we played the back three um there's a lot of just that horseshoe thing of just playing it between all the center backs and then the the whole point of doing that right is you you're meant to be sucking someone in and then and then you play an incisive ball or a quick combination and get out. But what we often seem to be doing is we'll play it for four or five passes around at the back and then just lump it long, which is it's just quite frustrating. Josh, what what do you make of this? Because I think one of the weird things about this aspect in particular is that we look quite good transitionally early on in games, but that sort of fades as well. What do you think that that is caused by? Yeah, I I think um, like yesterday, I I sort of felt like it was more like Liverpool just eventually just sort of wrestled the game away from us due to just having more quality. Like, I don't, I think that's why that happened yesterday rather than what we were doing particularly fell apart. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know why, why it seems to be like we're good transitionally early on. Um, because obviously we were against Burnley, like that was a really sort of stark example of it, where we had all those sort of chances or opportunities to create chances in in the first half, and then in the second half, that just did not happen anymore. Um, I'm not sure what I could put that down to yesterday, other than just Liverpool just controlling it better, and I think Fabinho snuffed a lot of a lot of those moments out. Um, and it just became harder to to find the opportunity to actually play that ball to um, to Rafinha into that space. Well, let's talk about the Leeds tactics then, because I guess the the tempting question here is to say, well, do we think that Leeds should have approached the game differently from a tactical point of view? We talked a little bit about how it would be nice to see Leeds trying to build up. 
it's easy to say that, but is it just the case that without any real options in midfield, we're we're now now kind of locked in at this point to playing that kind of transitional long ball football, Josh? Well, I I don't know if I feel like we don't, like, yes, we don't have amazing options, but I also don't think it's that we don't have any options. We didn't have to play Rodrigo and Dallas as as the midfield two in front of Phillips. Like, there were some other choices which Bielsa decided not to not to put in. So personally, I, I thought it was a no brainer to have um, have Click in. And yes, um, he obviously had COVID, but I don't I don't think that's why he didn't get picked. I think he didn't get picked because Bielsa wants to play Rodrigo, and he he so wants Rodrigo to work that he's just keeping on putting him in. But he also definitely recognises there's a problem because he also keeps subbing him at half time. Um, so I don't, I don't know, but I think um, I think that's one way that we could have approached the game differently. Gone for like right, let's have basically the pressiest midfield we could get and have Shackleton and Click because that's that's like the two most um, players uh, most capable of like just playing at that high intensity the whole way through. Um, Maybe that's harsh on, on Dallas, but um, I'm getting back into that point of getting very frustrated with Dallas in midfield because um, it, he was brilliant there second half of last season. I'll never say that he wasn't because he was and he deserved to get player of the season. But you, at the moment, I feel that we're seeing the fact he's not a midfielder because we can't keep the ball in the midfield. Um, and I think Shackleton's technically better. And that that's it would be a personnel thing for me. We've said that we think that Bielsa is favouring Rodrigo over Click, but when it comes to favouring Roberts over Click, that seems to be a slightly different matter, though, right? Why why do you think that Roberts came on before? Klick? I think it's for that for that role, I guess. Like I don't know if whether he's seeing it between is he seeing it that it's Dallas and Click for one position and it's Roberts and Rodrigo for the other. I, that's that's my guess, but also I think um, it could have been that we wanted the ball carrying that because we weren't really progressing through the middle, and one way to do that is get a player on that can just take it and turn and run with it. Not that I think he was hugely effective in doing that, but that's a theory. Let's move on and talk about Rodrigo. Tom Woodhead, you you were quite positive about Rodrigo in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I I I've seen a lot of people. Uh, well, everyone seems to disagree with me on this, but I, I, from when I watched the game live, I thought I was quite surprised that he came off at half time because I've I have been very critical of Rodrigo this season, especially because I've just kind of completely lost my patience with it. But I thought he actually had a fairly decent game, and I I rewatched it the first half this morning, and I still sort of think he was all right. Um, I do I do accept that it he he was at fault for the first goal. Um, and that is a problem. And John, you made a really good point in the group chat the other day um, about how he seems to now be a bit more willing to press forward, but not press backwards. Um, and you do see that, that he'll, he will sprint forwards to try and win the ball. But it, when he doesn't win it, which is usually the case, he sort of more jogs backwards to... Um, uh, he just sort of loses his enthusiasm for it after a little while, which is, you know, obviously fundamentally a, a big problem. But I, if, if he would just put that extra bit of effort in. I don't think he needs to be an incredible presser. He just needs to be someone who's willing to put the work in a little bit. Like I don't think Rafinha is an incredible presser really, but he just keeps running and and so it's totally fine. 
Um, obviously, playing in the middle is very different um, than playing on the sidelines in terms of what you need to be doing in the pressing. But um, I don't know. I, I thought he did some good stuff. He, he, there were quite a few little clever balls that didn't quite come off. There was a nice little reverse to Patrick Bamford that, um, that he, Bamford's first touch wasn't quite good enough and things like that. Um, so as I say, I considering uh, Bielsa's kind of uh, tendency to pick Rodrigo, even when you know the evidence sometimes points to him not doing all the things he needs to do, it w- it wasn't one of those games where I was like, oh yeah, that's the obvious thing to do. I thought he would have given him a little bit longer in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think that he he was fine yesterday, largely. Um, I think there's a few things that are frustrating that he does. I think particularly when he receives the ball with his back to goal. He's quite sloppy at the moment, um, which I think is an issue, especially when, especially for the build-up. Like it's fine when we're doing transitional stuff. He's obviously really good. He's a really smart uh, reader of the game. He plays those smart passes. Um, I noticed that he had really, really low progressive yardage, so he's not carrying the ball at all. He's just taking the touch and playing it on, um, and that's all. That's all fine. I will never be a fan of his pressing. I think like he runs more than he did. When, when we first got him, um, he runs more intelligently than he did. But I do think that th- there was a moment in the game yesterday where um, the ball goes back to Allison and Allison just plays the ball past him, but just not even like a wide pass, just right past him. And it goes about maybe a foot past his, his sort of centre of gravity. And I just kind of think, you know, he, he doesn't put any pressure really on the opposition and, and it just means that the whole press sort of falls down as a result of that so um, I'll probably always be a little bit too critical of Rodrigo in, in terms of pressing but um, I, I agree that beyond that like I thought I don't think his pressing was awful yesterday and I I, I thought that everything else was fine um, but I think the problem is is that now everyone's got to a point where they're like this isn't working and it didn't really like do enough to be convincing that it might work yesterday so I think that's probably the way that people are coming at it right absolutely yeah like um it just I it just surprised me that Bielsa would feel that way uh when when something that he's been trying to get to work for so long seemed like it was working a little bit more um I I thought he might persevered with it for 10 or 15 minutes in the second half or something but he always if he thinks there's a change it's usually done at half time isn't it like so I shouldn't be that surprised yeah, I suppose, Josh, if, if I put this one over to you, it does feel as though that Bielsa has just sort of decided we are now a transitional team and the, the press is maybe like not as important as a, a sort of creative aspect. Um, it's more just sort of pre- preventing the, the opposition from running through with their centre-backs or whatever. What do you make of the whole the whole approach? But it doesn't do that. It doesn't achieve anything then in that case. If that's the case, like just abandon it, stop doing it. Forget the man-to-man because... If you're going to play a player in that position that just doesn't do it or can't do it, then it breaks and it's and you ask for what happens with with that goal. Um, because I I actually agreed. So I was literally was like about to tweet just before the goal, like oh, I think Rodrigo's actually playing playing well here. Like I agree. Like he had though that moment nearly nearly played that into Bamford a few little link ups that were quite nice um and his and I also think he won a couple of turnovers higher up the pitch um and then I just I was just so angry when that goal happened because it's just like how many times do we have to see that happen with without going well this can't work because it literally so he he sort of jogged over as Matip comes out he sees him coming and he thinks oh I need to go and engage that and then he doesn't really get anywhere near to doing so. 
but he also just he just stands still and watches it when Matip plays a pass off and then waits to get it back, by which point Rodrigo could be right on top of him and at least interrupt him from receiving that ball back. Uh, like I was just furious at that, and so at that point, like I don't think I saw anything else that he did in in the rest of the half because I was just all I could see was that, and I was just I, I we can't keep seeing that, and it, we paid like thirty million pounds for him, and we just have no idea how to make him fit in our team. I think the thing that frustrated me about that walking back was it didn't even seem like laziness or like that he couldn't be bothered to do it that it to me that that moment was more like oh I want to get the ball when we defend it and uh and the break comes on it looks like to me like I want to be in space for when this break but, but that's priorities the wrong way around like you can't do that in a man marking system can you you have to you have to do the defensive bit first and then run to get into space yeah I think you are right like he was sort of positioned like ready to receive it but clearly just go and stop. Like, I think he might have thought, oh, because I think, I don't know if it was Phillips or if it was Dallas stood in, like, in front of Fabinho. But Rodrigo, like, we had men over that could have also gone and done that. Just, oh, infuriating. Infuriating. It may be the case that he's just not fit enough to press. And then that might be why he looks as though he's willing to press in singular moments because that's the the issue that we have with him is that he doesn't move from one pressing sequence to another he does his run forward and then he's like that's it I'm done Uh, and yeah with the goal like you said I mean one he has he has a head start on Matip to get into a position which will disrupt him and doesn't manage to beat uh, the the frequently injured and getting older himself Joel Matip uh, in a foot race but but also like he, he he does a singular pressing moment and then he's like well I've done my pressing good luck guys and and it, it, the system doesn't work like that you have to you have to do literally what Calvin Phillips was doing yesterday and just chase chasing lost causes even though there was absolutely no point to doing them so I, I wonder whether or not there's simply just a, a fitness element there but I, I, let's not talk about Rodrigo forever um, let's let's move on we've we've already mentioned like the frustration that when the man marking system doesn't work it, it it's just so tempting to just be like oh we go zonal for a bit just to get a little bit of respite but I think for me that frustration rises to a crescendo when leads go down to 10 men because we continue to play the man-to-man system roughly after we have a red card and it's just it just doesn't work at all and it would just be nice to go into some kind of zonal banks of four um, or four and five in that sort of situation so um, I'll put this one over to you Josh you get frustrated that leads continue to play man-to-man after red cards I wasn't sure if that is what we did um, at least there were at least some examples of us being in a um like in a bit more of a block um and i just i noticed them when i was clipping stuff up for the for the video analysis where he's um yeah where we're in a a bank of uh yeah a couple of banks and then we would just have like one player engaging um and we certainly did that against man city we were like low block and just desperately try and counter um but then also we were really ragged at times yesterday as well. So I think I think maybe we were still man to man at certain times and not not at others. But yeah, I mean it it is crazy. I don't know if I get frustrated about that because at that point I was just like we've lost, so whatever. <laughs> I think my my view of it is that what it seemed like to me um, was that Bamford was was no longer uh, trying to mark two players. He picked up a man 
and then you have the two wingers who don't stick as close to their men as they normally would and they come a little bit narrower so they almost become like two strikers a little bit when we when we uh when Liverpool have the ball and the, I guess the idea is that you want those quick players as far forward as possible so that if you get the opportunity to break you can do it and I don't think I don't think it's a terrible like scheme for when you go down to 10 men but fundamentally I think a team like Leeds that is so heavily drilled it's a big ask to like completely change the marking system when you when you go or to play with 10 men at all I think it's a big ask when everything is based on people being in the right place at the right time and uh and and all the movements are sort of semi-scripted I think it's it's always going to be very difficult and I think that Man City game has kind of distorted people's perceptions of what is possible mm-hmm. yeah sure the issue for me maybe is that it's all well and good going down to 10 men against teams like Man City and, and Liverpool when you're well I guess in, in this game when you're already losing um the the question is when you go down to 10 men against a team who you could maybe scrape a result from and what would it look like in those sort of scenarios um uh, but obviously that's a hypothetical which we haven't encountered yet but no doubt that will happen at some point i mean my main memory of it is uh against nottingham forest in bielsa's first season uh when we actually looked fine for a little bit but then eventually yeah going full man to man like with you know no spare man at the back essentially I think was how we did it then like playing sort of one centre back it was a uh, yeah it was it was too much to ask in the end final question marking Mohamed Salah is not a task you would wish upon your worst enemy so what did we make of Junior's performance yesterday uh, I thought that there's a lot of sort of he seems to have become a quite Marmite figure quite early on um, I don't know whether or not that's because people were expecting him to be like Messi because he's from Barcelona or something <laughs> but it seems as though a lot of people were, have, have been a little bit critical of, of Junior so far so Tom I'll start with you what have you made of, of Junior so far? I've I've been sort of quietly impressed with him I think he's been okay I thought he was one of our better players yesterday um, obviously marking Salah is always going to be incredibly difficult and Salah had the beating of him multiple times but I don't really count that as a huge mark against a player if Salah looks really good up against them um he was very he pers- he persevered a lot uh he didn't let his head drop I don't think when uh and and I thought in possession he was probably our best uh defender um in terms of the way he used the ball yesterday so I think he's doing okay I, I did I did notice actually um after the game I heard some rumblings like in the pub of people uh saying that he's out of his depth and things like that I, I don't agree at all I think he he fits fine. I just think that's laughable. Like, <laughs> I, I agree. With, I agree with Tom for for sure. I think I think he's been I think he's been good. That's uh, really It's really really harsh. Like he's he came in, started the season injured, like, which and that's that's a thing we can <laughs> discuss separately. But um, but as an actual, just as a player, I think he looks. I think he looks good, and he just needs a little bit of. Uh, time to adapt and I think a, an assist will, will do him the world of good in in a lot of fans eyes they'll suddenly be like oh he created that goal he mustn't now now he's great but I I think in terms of what he's doing in the build-up he's looking decent and uh, I like it I think he's a decent enough defender he's strong he's fast yeah he got he got rinsed a couple of times by Salah but just, that's gonna happen <laughs> it's interesting because in the first half of the first half it seemed as though Liverpool were trying to get him isolated against Salah quite a lot uh, and and obviously that sort of caused him a few problems Um, but then I noticed that 
what happened in the second half of the first half is that they started pushing Alexander Arnold forward and almost trying to get him into that that position to pull Harrison back um with 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 Salah coming a little bit more central and just creating an absolute acre of space for Matip to drive into um so i i thought it was it was sort of fascinating how liverpool despite the fact that that it did seem as though Salah did have the measure of Junior a little bit that Liverpool still changed their tactics to 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 try and get more of an edge. So they they clearly thought that Salah wasn't doing as much as they expected to against uh, against Junior. But yeah, I agree with you guys. I think he's. I think it, it's weird, isn't it? Because we were expecting him to be like super attacking and terrifying defensively. And I think to me, he sort of looks really solid as a, he just looks like a really solid build up player. Um, he's not making any terrible mistakes defensively. And I guess we're, we're hoping that that, that sort of more attacking element comes. Um, uh, but I think it's a really good base to start from. I'm, I'm confident that that attacking will come. I just, I think we've looked bad as a team attack it. Like for, for him to be able to do some good overlapping runs, we need to actually have the ball. Like we need to have a situation where we have the ball in the middle so he can make a run outside someone, but we never have the ball there. So how's he meant to do it? Like I think we saw him do it a little bit against crew when we actually had dominant possession, but at no point have we really had that yet. So let's see in this next run of games, because that, that should be the opportunity. Although I think he might play as left center back, just saying. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, enough of my questions to you guys. It's now time for you guys to give us the questions that you have. So we'll kick off with you, Josh. What topic do you want to bring to the table? I'm questioning this Dallas zonal thing that we've talked about um, in the past so that when we first started playing Dallas in, in midfield last season, part of it was like, oh, he's he's playing like a, a zonal role in midfield. So he's supposed to try and help stop players basically break through the middle against us um and i'm not really seeing that happening uh this season so far so i'm basically wondering what what's the point like why are we trying to play dallas there if he's not doing that role um because i don't think he's a midfielder so why like it, when matip was coming out there yes like rodrigo i felt should have engaged him i've been through that but if if the point was dallas is this zonal player then he should have been there in my view, I, I don't have any answers. <laughs> um, uh, I, I I thought Dallas was quite poor in in pretty much every aspect of of his game um, the other day. Uh, especially, I don't think he could cope with 
uh, playing in front of a screen of Fabinho at all. Like every, it seemed like every time he tried to pass forward, it was intercepted. So um, I'm I'm quite a basic person and tend to notice things in possession more than things out of possession. But um, I, I certainly wasn't impressed with his passing and stuff yesterday. Um, I don't know. Like uh, you get people get very upset if you say anything bad about Stuart Dallas, but I feel like I've mostly been fairly positive about him on here. So maybe I get a free pass from the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I w- what I will say is that the video analysis that I'm doing this week is all about the centre-back driving forward for Liverpool and actually I think that Leeds made a bit of a tweak in the, in the second half which we'll talk about later on so I don't want to get into it too much but needless to say Dallas wasn't playing a zonal, zonal system yesterday uh, at all um, now that, that then I suppose raises the question like why are we playing Dallas in midfield because last season it was very much so that he just played that zonal role where he would try and cover that run by the centre-back but he's not doing it now and it seems as though Bielsa is trying to get more action from the wide areas um, I, th- I think I suspect maybe that he doesn't like the idea of losing your man marker or leaving your, ma- your, your responsibility in the centre and rather leave the man in a wide area um, but this is just something that I noticed that we did second half yesterday um, and as soon as we as, as soon as we got to the red card um, I think that that it, it stopped happening so obviously the the, the pressing system that we in, implemented wasn't going to work after that point so um, yeah I'll, I'll run through that in the in the video analysis but I do I don't think that we are playing Dallas as a, as a zonal marker now which I think raises the question why bother with him in midfield then but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is simply that he doesn't feel as though Mateus Click is is okay to go at this point. I think he's chosen him like over Click in general, though. I th- I think I th- like he is he is like one of Biel. Like I feel like he's usurped Click as Bielsa's choice in in that role. Um, and there there were obviously things that he brought as well, apart from that zonal thing. The other being his runs forward from from midfield um and that saw him score important goals for us last season um but yeah it's it's in possession when he needs to actually be on the ball that I, that I feel like oh for goodness sake like I'm desperate for an actual midfielder who will <laughs> come and get come and get the ball put a foot on it assess your options like and just Instead of going, ah, shit, bang it forwards. Like, that's just what it feels like it happens when it comes to Dallas. He's not going to hold the ball and recycle possession, move it around, wait for gaps. It, that's not in his game. He doesn't know how to do it because he's never been a midfielder. I think we miss Mateus Click a lot. I think we build up much better with him in wide areas. And I think partly the reason why we're not very good at build-up this season is because we haven't seen enough of, of Mateus Click really. But and, and I do feel as though like the times that we've played best generally in the Premier League have actually come with Mateus Click. That's not to say that the times that we've got the best results have been with him in in the in the team. But it, it just seems it seems weird to me that we've made this sort of tactical decision to be really really transitional at the expense of anything in midfield and. There doesn't really seem to be any upside from it, and at this point in time, so it, at the moment it just seems a little bit like banging our heads against the door and and, and waiting for like Rodrigo to work or waiting for for something to happen, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But um, yeah, I, I I would I don't know I would maybe would rather go back to that sort of Dallas zonal midfield defending option, despite the fact that I didn't really enjoy it that much because it seems better than what what it, whatever it is that we're doing now. 
Uh, Tom Woodhead, what did you want to bring to the discussion? I was just noticing quite often that Trent Alexander-Arnold was leaving massive amounts of space behind, which is, you know, I think that's typical of his game. He'll do that against most opponents. But Harrison had a few nice moments, but he never really he never really got in behind. But uh, considering the play was, was nearly all going down that side uh, for both teams, I think, especially Leeds' play, we hardly ever saw much going down our right wing. Um, I'm just surprised that uh, Bielsa didn't try swapping the wingers for you know, 10 or 15 minutes at least. I think there were a couple of moments when Rafinha ended up on the left, but I think it was more situational because we just had a set piece or something. I don't think there was ever... And I know we all mostly prefer Harrison on the left and Rafinha on the right, and I do too, but it did seem like there might have been some something to gain by giving Rafinha a run out on the left yesterday. I don't just wonder what you guys thought about that. I think it probably was the attacking threat thing like maybe not trusting him to do the same amount of work um but yeah maybe maybe i would have like i'm i'm always up for just swapping the wings every now and again just for some variety anyway even even though i do prefer it uh, as they start i would just say yeah just just mix it up just to keep the opposition guessing a little bit but i think we know that bielsa will will make a lot of his lineup decisions based on on opponents more than trying to get them to react to us so it sort of um it doesn't surprise me that much really for for that defensive reason i wonder if maybe the thinking now is that rather than switching pl- um wingers you just bring on a, bring on dan james and that will be that option um because yeah they they did leave acres of space i was amazed at how little concern Trent Alexander-Arnold really seemed to feel about that space being open up behind him. I know that Jordan Henderson did sort of drop into there a little bit and cover him, but even when Dan James came on, they they were still happy to sort of leave him in well in advance of the of the fullback in that situation. There were a couple of really good moments I thought where so there was that one where I think it was um, I think it was Dallas and Phillips or. Might have been no, it was Harrison and Phillips did a little like one two in the middle, and Harrison like sprung out to the wing, and then Phillips played like a low driven ball, like inside the fullback, and and Harrison then managed to cross it in, and uh, I mean the cross was just too high for Bamford. It would have been a really difficult chance to actually score it, but um, that was a really nice moment, and James got through maybe twice, but then just couldn't quite. Get like get to the byline to get across in or get a shot away, but yeah, I think you're right about James. I th- I think that whole idea of like he's got space to sprint into, like uh, maybe that's what we'll see instead. And Rafinha will just stay on the right. It's so funny having a player like that on when because when he comes on, like every time uh, we had the ball like anywhere near him, and he was kind of making a little run, the whole ground's just like put it over the top, like everyone <laughs> yeah. just immediately wants us to lump it over the top for him to run onto, which <laughs> probably isn't how it really works. But I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, we really have spent 150 million pounds to play like Burnley, haven't we? So here we are. <laughs> 
Right, enough of us. Over to the listeners. This is the questions that the listeners have sent in. First question up from Michael Maynard, a friend of the podcast. He says, people keep telling me not to worry because we've played a couple of the top clubs. However, my concern is not the points total, but the manner of the defeats. Even our draws against Burnley and Everton left me with grave concerns. We have no midfield, our press is breaking down, and our marking appears to be neither man-to-man or zonal at times. These players must know the system by now. So is it caused by mental errors, players trying to do slash tasked with too much, a lack of quality, or all of the above josh hobbs <laughs> yes i i think i mean i think a big part of it is the the lack of quality um because i think the areas of the team that we've tried to improve with our um with our signings a lot a lot of them just can never get on the bloody pitch because they're always injured um so <laughs> that's that's annoying uh the, we obviously had a, an opportunity. We've had two summers now where we've tried to sign midfielders and we've not done so. So that, that's to me like we have missed an opportunity to fix a clear problem. And that's the thing that I think annoys me more than anything else is that these uh, issues that we're seeing right now, we've known about them for a really long time. And this is why I was... Um, more down on our preseason than a lot of people when a lot of people just going ah preseason's crap like we always lose games in preseason and then we start fine and it's it's all fine but i saw the same issues that i've been seeing for ages and thinking i just hoped we might have a way of fixing that either by signing players to fix the problem or with a tweak to fix the problem in terms of what our system would look like but it, I, I don't feel that we are fixing it. I feel that we're getting worse, personally. But um, yeah, I, I will lose my head. Will, it's <laughs> a generous use of the word. Will, yeah, <laughs> have lost my head. No, no. But also, like, I, I know that this next six games is the time where we will, will actually see whether we've gone downhill or not. So, like, I, I get all emotional about it. Um, but then I might feel very differently once. <laughs> once we've played this next run of games and picked up some points, like if we're still playing like this and we can't control the ball and we can't hold it in midfield against Watford, against Newcastle, against Norwich, um, I am going to be concerned. So there's a children's nursery rhyme which ends with like when she was good she was very very good but when she was bad she was horrid and I'd kind of I always think about this when I think about Leeds because I think there's just such a fine line between us playing okay and us just looking absolutely abject and we've talked about how the man marking system does that um I also think the fact that you know we're largely trying to play transitional football at the moment means that's probably exacerbated as well but I do think that yeah we've been bad against Manchester United we've been bad against Liverpool we've been bad against two teams in the 3-3-1-3 who've who've largely mid mid block pressed us in wide areas it could be the case that we come up against Newcastle and suddenly we look like we're glorious and flowing again because as soon as it clicks everything looks fine Um, and and so for me it's it's just that's why the Newcastle game I think for me is so 
is so indicative maybe because it feels as though we could get to that game and everything will be fine that said the Newcastle game they will be playing a back three and they could well sit deep and press us in wide areas but um, Newcastle are very bad and largely speaking and I think that if we like you said if we can't do if we can't do stuff against them that we were doing last season against the lower tables lower half of the table sides then we've definitely got stuff to worry about but Tom Tom Woodhead what's, what's your take on this? Well, I absolutely agree with what's been said, um, possibly in a, in a slightly less fatalistic way uh, than Josh, <laughs> but, um, but I understand and I get it and I agree. Um, I I think um, in terms of Michael's question about whether it's down to in mental errors or players being asked to do tasks with too much, I think we have had problems in that Luke Ayling has had a poor start to the season. I think that's that's coincided with other problems of a similar nature, like things like Urente never being able to stay fit when, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously Strout getting sent off, um, uh, in general as playing a back three, which I think we struggle to build, build at times. Um, so I think I'm, I'm just sort of hoping that it's a bit of a lame wish, but I'm just think if we can get a bit of luck, um, I think, I think we have played badly. Um, and I guess in some ways we were quite lucky to get, a point against Burnley and possibly and possibly look quite lucky to get a point point against Everton as well. But I, th- I think I, I think I guess I mean more in a more of a macro sense. Um, it would be nice. It feels like we have nearly every game this season. We've had we've had balls that were nearly the right ball, like you know four or five times. Like especially in in those that first twenty minutes when we've normally looked a bit more lively. Um, and and I think it wouldn't take that much difference in in the flight of a couple of passes for us to have scored you know or created decent chances in 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 those circumstances so I think what what I sort of worry about long term is we've not really we've not really seen the possibility of uh the players stopping believing in what Bielsa's doing before uh even when we're going through bad runs in the championship um I think there was always enough credit in the bank that, that, that the players would would stay on side but I think Bielsa asks everyone to like subjugate themselves so much and to work so hard in training compared to a lot of other clubs, to a lot of other managers. That if you just lose and lose and lose and you're not seeing any results at all from the from all that hard work, then it it, it can become very difficult very quickly to to ever kind of get that feeling back. So yeah, like you say, I think the Newcastle game is a really big one, and it's not even necessarily that we win, but ov- obviously we want to win. But it's more that we we need to look like we should win. Like I'd almost rather we drew two all and Newcastle get two ridiculously lucky goals, but we dominate the game than, you know, we win two nil, but don't actually play that well. I think we got a lot of criticism over the summer for, for suggesting that there was issues with the transfer window, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it all came down to the fact that we were saying that the club had to, we're sort of, pushing this line where we all of the everything had to go in our favor right we had to get lucky not not even necessarily lucky but everything had to go well for us and in the first four games of the season like Sunday felt worse for me I think because so many things happened that sort of confirmed our worst fears so Adam Forshaw isn't on the bench because he's picked up some kind of calf strain like 
okay, that's not a really a, a big thing. But like we've been told that we don't need to worry about our midfield because Adam Forshaw's imminently about to return from foot fitness. Diego Llorente is injured again. Like I don't think that Llorente being fit or not is necessarily a huge issue either way. But then Pascal Strout gets injured, uh, gets sent off and we lose him for a few games. And you're sort of getting to this situation now where we're going to come out against Newcastle at the at the, week, at the weekend on Friday and we we it's a it's a pretty much a must win game for us now and we just don't have a really strong starting 11 in the formation that we'll probably come out in. So it's just I think it's just things like that where you know if you fly by the seat of your pants when it goes badly you can't really just come out and be like well you know we've just been really unlucky. That's the issue that we've been facing. I think that we we've got lucky in the last few seasons and we just expected that luck to continue. And so it feels as though the club has maybe been a little bit complacent. You have to clarify, I think, what you mean by that. I know what you mean, but you say we've got lucky in the last couple of seasons. You mean in terms of squad rather than like, it's not like we got lucky to get promoted or got sure. so on. Yeah, although I would probably caveat that with, I think that maybe last season gave us a false sense of what level is required in the Premier League. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I think, you know, we've been okay with getting injuries here and there and and everything working out, whereas now it just feels as though we're going through a bit of a bad run for luck and, and, and we just don't have the depth of squad to be able to deal with those sorts of bad runs of luck. Yep. Right, let's move on. Jack Hardy has a question about this new style of football that we're seeing. So he says, what exactly does Bielsa see in this b- bizarre tactical pivot that has made him persist with it? Our chance creation has been strangled, but top teams are still able to pick us apart. Being so transitional seems to be lose-lose compared to the familiarity with our old system. So, um, yeah, Tom Woodhead, what do you make of this? How do you feel about this sort of new approach to the game that we're seeing? I think um, it's easy to forget like how much we relied on Pablo Hernandez back in the Championship. Um, and at the start of this season, I th- at the start of last season, I think we were catching a lot of teams cold, I- even though that seems like in the modern world where every club employs, you know, fleets of analysts, it seems ridiculous that you could catch a team cold, but it, it really did seem that we still managed to surprise people and people didn't know how to deal with us. And obviously people are wising up to a little, a little bit more and that's coincided with both Pablo Hernandez for a start, not being really physically up to the Premier League. Um, last season and then click sort of crapping out and uh, not being able to play very much and that they, they were they were our midfielders who could uh, be a bit more intelligent with the ball and pro so I think it's kind of that confluence of things and uh, I mean I, I do honestly think people really forget how much angst there was whenever Pablo Hernandez wasn't fit when we we're in the championship it was like we can't create without Pablo we can't create without Pablo and I think maybe people have forgotten that the reason um the reason that we could create without Pablo in the early games in the Premier League is that people were, people were willing, people were playing. You know, they were willing to just go toe to toe with us because we'd just come up from the Championship. And I think people are being a bit smart about it now because they've seen how uh, teams like Brighton have um, played against us and doing similar things. Yeah. I am aware that the time is running on, so let's let's just fly through the last listener question. I'll give you guys a sentence each on this. Uh, it's from Grant Gendo, who said, given that the midfield was improved by 0% over the summer, is there a legitimate reason to perhaps move away from a man-oriented defensive system? So Tom, Tom Woodhead, thoughts on moving away from a, a man-oriented system? I think it would be disaster, a disaster to do it mid-season. Okay. Josh Hobbs? Oh, I don't know if I agree with that, but I just don't see it happening i wouldn't mind it being tried but i I just it seems like a moot point because bielsa's married to it 
usually at this point we do our Statric Bamford section where we talk about a statistical element of the game. I was going to talk a little bit about Joel Matip with the, the, the progressive distance that he got against us and some of the progressive carries, quite a high number of progressive carries. But we'll move on and I will say that I am doing the video analysis on this. So there you go. What, what better segue could we have for, for pushing our Patreon? If you want to watch that video, it will be out on Patreon later this evening. We'll skip past the positives because who wants to feel positive? And we'll just <laughs> go straight to the Newcastle game on Friday, which is coming up. We will, on our Patreon channel, be putting out a full preview episode with an interview with a guy called Kev Lawson, who runs the fantastically named YI Scout channel on, on Twitter. But we will just talk a little bit about it here. I'll put this over to you guys. So, yeah, thoughts on, on the Newcastle game. We've talked a little bit about some of the, the worries that we've had um, ahead of this game. So, Tom Woodhead, what are your thoughts about, about the Newcastle game and what is it that you're particularly looking forward to? Well, uh, the four games we've played so far in the Premier League, um, the, they've either the teams we've played have either had vastly superior personnel to us, Man United and Liverpool, or very dogged and defensively minded but thorough, competent, logical managers. Um, and it will be <laughs> nice to go get up against a team that has neither of those things because uh, there aren't that many of them in the Premier League. Um, and uh, of co- I think, yeah, as, as we've talked about already, I mean, this is kind of the acid test. Are, are we are we in for a long hard season or are things you know not quite as not quite as dour as they seem? Josh, what about your thoughts in particular on this sort of topic? I'm wondering whether we might we might see a back three of Cooper in the middle, ailing one side and Junior on the other, um, with wing back Shackleton and Dallas. That that's my. I, I was trying to think what would what would this look like. You just try to lean into the Sheffield United thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, it, it, I think that would obviously happen. The overlapping um, centre backs in in this case, um, but I, it's I just don't know what we're left with options wise, other than moving Phillips uh, into the defence, which I think, considering he basically is our midfield at the moment, uh, I wouldn't want to see that. Uh, or we are giving Charlie Cresswell a debut, which I, I wouldn't mind seeing him play. But, uh, and I I like the fact that he's close to minutes now, even if it comes at a <laughs> bit of a crisis time uh, for us. But I don't see Bielsa actually doing that. I, I When I was trying to think this through, I just thought the classic thing that he will do is... Um, is Move move players around and use his like his favoured players, and I think that means Junior in the back three. Do you think there's any chance we might see Phillips in that back three? Because we've seen that before. Well, I mean, it, it could it could happen, but I think like Junior's also played in the back three for Barcelona. I think he played his best game for them there, like right centre back as well. Weirdly, yeah, marked marked Mbappe and did a very good job. So I I think uh, yeah. I think that just seems to make sense to me. Also, maybe it's because he's he was doing it quite a bit in build up against Crew that made me think it as well. Um, so yeah, let let's see how that. I'd be just interested who's going to be in that three. There's still time for Cooper to get a calf strain yet. <laughs> oh bloody hell! Can you imagine it if uh, if Cresswell comes in to just play in the centre of the back three as his, <laughs> like that's his debut? Just I'm I'm the defensive leader now. The spotty colossus. Oh, Bloody dear. hell. Yeah, so Newcastle have been playing 3-5-2 this season, which is seems to be sort of Steve Bruce's go-to final days of, uh, formation when he's really sort of digging in. Um, 
So yeah, when we play against teams who play three five two, we tend to go three five two ourselves. And Josh, in the past, you've been quite positive about the three five two formation, right? Yeah, I have. I have liked it. I think my question in this scenario is, what does it mean for Rafinha? And I wonder if it means like it if it if it is that back three that I just suggested with Shackleton and um and Dallas as wing backs, then I think Harrison is one of the strikers with Bamford and then it's that three of maybe it's Click and Phillips Central and then Rafinha has to play uh, in that uh position that everyone thinks he should play in now that Dan James has uh, arrived and he plays as the sort of central attacking player but he pulls wide um that'd be in, I that'd be interesting to see that so it becomes almost like a 343 at times and a 352 at other times um could be could be that i don't know what else i how else i would get that team out i could also see it being dallas at right wing back and harrison at left wing back because because he has he has played there kind of covering that little flank before yeah yeah, that is definitely another option. So you think Rafinha would be playing central then, in order for us to, to get someone else in the white? Well, in, in in that case, that means it's like a Rafinha Bamford front two, right? Rather than a midfielder, which is prob that Tom is probably closer to it. I think. Yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think in those other in those other scenarios when we've seen the three five two, I think it was was it Harrison and maybe even Helder Costa. I mean, I, I know that when we played Sheffield United early in the season, Rafinha wasn't really. Uh, he may not even have been properly signed. No, he wasn't. He wasn't there. Okay, so we played Costa and and Harrison as the Costa as the right wing back, but Harrison as the second striker, yeah. right? And then we had yeah, we Alioski yeah. as the wing back. No, Dallas. Dallas as the wing back, but he was inverting in that game, right? But we've definitely seen it before in the Championship with Harrison taking the entire left flank. Hmm. Um, and I could, yeah, I could, this is a game where I could see that happening. I think. I, I'd actually just let that slip my mind. I think Tom's probably got the closest to what it could be if it is that back three. One final question for you guys. Obviously, we know that our players can sometimes struggle when they're 1v1 versus someone who's very good in, in those scenarios. Don't say it. <laughs> I'm going to say three letters to you now. Don't say it. One is A, <laughs> one is S, and one is M. And as you know, that stands for Alan Sun-Maximan. How do you feel about, about facing him? Yeah, Liam Cooper's getting sent off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm a bit, we didn't really face him last season. I think he played about half an hour of the second game. He had long COVID, didn't he? I believe. Yeah, he did. And so he missed the first one. And he was just sort of making his comeback as he as he played against us. And he caught, he definitely caused some problems, but... He wasn't maybe on the pitch for long enough to have a real effect, and we we managed to wrestle control back after they equalised. Um, but yeah, that yeah, and he's he's been playing up front and looking really dangerous uh, for them this season. Although they look dreadful, he he looks class. Um, so yeah, that I'm scared of that. I just think we if we can actually control the ball a bit, we can starve him of actually getting on the ball. Whereas I think if we try and just ping it forwards all the time, then we're just going to keep on giving it back to them and they will give it to him and he'll run at us. So I think if there was ever a uh, a time for us to get a foot on the ball, this is a game to do it. The phrase that we're going to hear is going to be basketball game, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think with, with this one. Oh God. Tom Woodhead, any final thoughts? No, just uh, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you, Hobbsy, over the next few days in hope that your mood improves. <laughs> uh, 
just win a couple of games and I'll I'll return I'll be able to think critically and and clearly once again instead of the fog. I guess the one thing I would say is I'm glad it's on Friday night. I think it's good to have this game as quickly as possible, even though we don't have as long to rest as Newcastle do. I think I think the players will just want to get out there and you know get Liverpool out of their minds. Yeah, it does feel like one of those ones where we need like we've had it in the past where we've had these bad runs or these bad defeats and then we we put out a statement performance and it, that needs to be this. Let's end on a positive note because I think that there's lots of things to be negative about in, in after the last four games but I do think there are teams that we are going to beat in this in this league. I don't think people should be worrying about relegation at this point. The negative feelings that I have are more about not enjoying games rather than thinking that we're doomed to be ending this season in the bottom three. So a little bit of positivity for us there. I think there's enough in our squad for us to easily have the, the better of at least three of the teams in this league. So there you go, a rare positive proclamation from me right at the end of the podcast. But this is <laughs> the end of the podcast I promise you I'm sorry it's run over a little bit and sorry I've managed time so badly that we've had to cut a couple of sections but as I say if you like what we do and you want to find more of it then head over to our Patreon www.patreon.com forward slash all stats on we you will have a, a lovely video of Joel Matip slaughtering us in the first half and then slaughtering us slightly less in the second half <laughs> uh, because of a tactical tweak that we introduced but yeah all that remains for me to do then is to say thank you to Josh thanks mate and thank you to Tom Woodhead Cheers. And we'll see you very shortly. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 